Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We can continue our series called um, Unveiled, where we find the beauty of hope for the chaos of the world. And it would be, it would not be an overstatement to say that this is probably one of my, maybe my favorite passage in the book of Revelation. So um, I think it's going to set the stage very well for us for some things that God is inviting us into. And to begin that, I want to start with the story of Florence Chadwick. I don't know how many of you have heard of her. She was a world-famous woman's swimmer, and uh, she accomplished a lot during her life, including swimming the English Channel both ways. Um, She is more famous to me for something that uh, she didn't actually accomplish, and I think that's what can inform us this morning. Florence Chadwick was 34 years old on July the 4th, 1952, and she was attempting to become the first woman to swim across the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palo Verde on the California coast. And the day that she set out to swim this channel, it was a day where the water was extremely cold. Uh, There were reported to be sharks in the water and a dense fog had set in as she was going out. Now, it was about the 15-hour point that she began to doubt her ability to finish the swim. So, um, I don't know what's the longest time you've ever been in the water, but uh, I'm pretty sure at 15 hours I would be at the bottom of the ocean. Um, But she doubted her ability to finish the swim. She told her mother that she didn't think she could make it, Unfortunately, at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she had to stop with huge disappointment and asked her crew to take her out of the water. Because of the fog, she could not see the coastline and she had no idea where she was. She soon found out, however, that she was less than a mile away from the coast. She certainly could have reached it if she had just stayed in the water a few minutes longer. Later, she told a reporter, look, I'm not making an excuse for myself, but if I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. And then two months later, she tried the same journey without the fog. She finished in 13 hours and 47 minutes, breaking a 27-year-old record by more than two hours. So I think what that speaks to us is knowing where you're going, knowing your destination is extremely important. If you lose sight, especially in this life with the hardships and the difficulties, we're going to be talking about God's mission today and the things that he's called us to as a church. If we don't have a a big picture in view of what he's calling us to and where he's calling us to and how he's calling us to do it, in the midst of all of that, we can grow very weary, very discouraged, and want to prematurely give up. We're going to read about the church at Philadelphia who actually was a church that thought they were losing, but they were actually winning. They were a a church that were being extremely faithful to God's word and to his mission, but they had grown weary and had grown discouraged because they had taken their eyes off of the end. And Jesus wants to do real ministry for them and for us as we look at his words to this church. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we look at the church at Philadelphia Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens 
and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the, tr- from the hour of the trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us learn from the faithfulness of this church. I pray that you help us to learn about your care and your protection and your passion for your church. I pray that everyone in attendance, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, would sense your pleasure in what you're doing here at Fellowship I pray that you would open our eyes to see the open doors that you have given us that no one can shut. I pray that you would help me to proclaim this word to this church that I love. You know my weakness, my limitations, my frailties. I exchange those for your perfection and your power that you speak over me. And I pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, both individually and as a church, so that we can be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the church is about a lot of things, but what the church at Philadelphia in the book of Revelation points out to us is that mission is the leading edge of the kingdom of God, right? It's wonderful to experience fellowship with one another. That is absolutely vital for us as the people of God. It is wonderful to be able to be discipled and to grow deeper, and I would argue the deeper that you go, the further and the wider that you'll go, like both of those things are held in tension. But the ultimate leading edge of the church is always about seeing people that don't know Jesus meet Jesus, right? That's the reason that Jesus came into the world is so that people that were separated from him would actually meet him. And um, my prayer is that we would see Jesus's passion for local churches through this particular passage. It would not be an understatement to say most of the time we underestimate and take for granted the local church that God has given us, myself as the leader of this church included. But the local church is the passion of Jesus Christ. It is his bride. I read a statistic. There are 320,000 churches 
right now in the United States that are trying to give forth the light of the gospel of the knowledge of the glory of God, right? For 300 plus million people. Each of us has a a part to play. And I I hope that this small passage, uh, as we look at open doors for us as a church, would encourage you. The first thing I want to look at this morning is our limited power never limits God's plan. Our limited power never limits God's plan. This letter to this church is probably the most encouraging of these seven letters that are written to local churches. It says that Jesus will stop at nothing. There is no obstacle that will keep him from building his kingdom to see his kingdom coming. In his message to this church, who was aware of their limitations who was aware of their deficiencies, is don't ever give up. Keep going, because where I'm taking you is more beautiful and more powerful than you could ever imagine. Look at verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this church was aware of their limited resources. They were aware of, to this point, their limited impact on the culture. This church was a church that was about ready to throw in the towel. They were experiencing that tension of asking God to do big things and pray. Prayers like Jesus encourages us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they were seeing none of it. This was a church that was experiencing profound persecution from people inside of their city. They weren't seeing a ton of people converted. Yet Jesus says, I want you to know that I've noticed that you've been faithful. Right? That's encouraging that Jesus, despite the results that they see, that Jesus says, I notice that you have been faithful. So what that tells us is results are not um, any indication of faithfulness. Results, I mean, we can sow seeds, we can water seeds, but only God makes things grow. And I think it's really important for us to be able to realize that as a local church. And there's a huge difference between the way that we see ourselves, right? I mean, they were aware of their deficiencies. They were aware of the ways they weren't making a difference. And God wants to say, I saw you. I know that you are making an eternal difference. I know your works. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. What Jesus is saying in the midst of this this is a church who most certainly were saying goodbye to people daily that were being persecuted. Some were giving up their lives. Some were being imprisoned. It's not as if the pain that you experience as you follow Jesus on his mission is not real. It's just not ultimate. It's not the thing that defines where we're going. And I think God's word to us inside of this passage is, Acknowledging that you have little power is a huge gift, right? Because most churches in the West insulate themselves from the fact that they have little power by their monetary resources. Monetary resources in the United States of America are oftentimes a cover-up for a lack of power. 
This church was aware that they had a lack of power. And what it did was connect them to the God of the universe who has unlimited resources, unlimited power, and unlimited passion for them. So if you are here, whether individually or inside of your gospel community or inside this local church, and you are aware of your little power, you are in good company. You are on safe ground, right? We're actually, when we follow Jesus, the only thing that we need is need, right? It's not a bad thing to experience your limitations if those limitations don't cause you to give up, but those limitations cause you to press into the God that has everything that you need. That's the message to the church at Philadelphia. Our limited power never limits God's plan. John Piper says it like this, the one that that supplies the power gets the glory. So, We could be either a group of people that trust in our own resources. In the Psalms it says some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So we have but little power, yet that little power helps us to draw near to Jesus. So where have you experienced your lack of power over the last couple of weeks? Where have you come up on your limitations. This passage is an invitation to experience the power that will never fail you. Brings me to my second point. Because God is the one who opens and closes doors, we can take risks to follow him. Because God is the one who opens and closes doors, we can take risks as we follow him. Look at verses 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oftentimes, as we follow Jesus, we think that we're going to get this road map that's going to lead us straight to the promised land, right? But oftentimes, it takes detours and there's curves. Um, Almost always, it's more painful along the way than we would anticipate. That's certainly the experience of the church at Philadelphia. Um, And for any of you that have been following Jesus for more than about a week, um, that's just the reality of following a, a crucified Savior, like that we walk in his steps. He experiences suffering, so we experience suffering. But what we're going to learn as we go through this passage is that suffering has an ultimate purpose that reveals the love of God to the world as he sustains us, that as he keeps us. This passage plays a, a real role in my own story. It was 2009. And I remember that was a year of wrestling for me. Um, We were expecting our fifth child. And there was a stirring in my heart that I would consistently share with my wife um, about seeming like God was calling us maybe back to the area that I grew up in. So we were in Atlanta. 
and we ended up relocating for a year to Memphis, Tennessee, and then after that year, we came to Jonesboro, and we thought that was going to be a temporary pit stop, but that's turned into an open door that God hasn't shut yet. Um, but I remember during that time, this was a, a passage that, that, that God opens doors that no one else can open. And so we, as a couple, just said, hey, we're, we don't know the whole journey. We don't know the whole story. But we're going to walk through the open doors. And we just took one step after another. And God provided finances and homes and relationships and churches. And we just kept walking through open doors until finally we bumped up into one that was closed. And we ended up here. Right? So this passage is meant to say you don't have to have every step of the journey figured out to follow Jesus. Right? You don't have to have it every step from here until eternity to follow him. You can actually trust him like to take the next step, to take the next step in faith, and to realize that you may hit up against an op- uh, open door or you may go up against a closed door. So we have a God that actually orders our footstep. Now, what's so encouraging about this is that God had good works that were prepared for this church. There were good works that no one could take away from them. There were open doors that were set before them that no one could shut. Now, if that's how God used the church at Philadelphia in ancient Turkey, um, the God that never changes, that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, His purposes for us as His people, both individually and corporately, God has good works for all of us, and there's no one that can shut those doors. Not your sin, not your failure, not your disappointment, not measuring up to someone else's expectation of you. None of those things can shut the doors that God has opened for us as his people. Nothing will thwart God's plan for his people, right? This is saying, I have set an open door before you. This is because of the cross of Jesus Christ who gave up his life as a ransom for many that he gave that up so that we could walk through open doors and know that we can trust him, right? That he's, he wants to get us where he's called us more than we actually want to get there. This means that we can be bold. We risk, but God never risks. God secures. God wins. That's why he gives us the end of the story so that we can know and that we can trust and that we can walk and that we can obey. Look at verse 9 with me. The obstacles that we face, God uses as a way to demonstrate his love to the world. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, many commentators believe that the group that was persecuting this church would come and they would bow their knees, and that's a picture of them being converted. That they're going to actually see that the one that they were persecuting, just like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, the one that they were persecuting is the one that actually came to save them. And that this church was going to be preserved by the love of God. God's saying to that church and to this church that I'm going to keep you in the midst of the difficulties that you go through in such a way that it shows all of the world my love and my care for you. Right? So, suffering is real. Most of us have suffered more than we would let on this week. But suffering 
is an opportunity to step into the kingdom of God because his power is manifest in weakness. It's not the churches that have it all together that God tends to do mighty works through. It's those that are aware of their deep needs. So the suffering that you go through keeps you and propels you into the place that God has called you. This brings me to my final point. Every church and every person plays an irreplaceable role in God's unfolding story. There are no unimportant people and there are no unimportant churches in God's story to redeem the world. And there's two images that help us to see that. I want you to turn over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. The first is the image of the Holy One. We had a prayer meeting before this service, and someone read from Isaiah 43. There's this phrase, the Holy One, that appears to the church at Philadelphia. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One. So for this church, it would have pointed them back to the Old Testament. It would have, to- it would have pointed them back to the book of Isaiah. I want to read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 to you. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number. This is a reference to the stars in the universe. Calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So this is a picture the Holy One would remind them of the everlasting God that created and sustains everything. He has a name for every star in the universe. Name indicates purpose and destiny. The same one that named every star upon the billions upon billions of stars that exist in the universe has a purpose for your life and he has a purpose for every church that he's ever created and ever sustained. He is the Holy One. He is the one that holds life and death in his hands. And then I want us to look at this promise. Look at verses 12 and 13. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar In the temple of my God, I want you to keep that image in your mind, a pillar. In the temple of my God, never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will make you a pillar of in the temple of my God. So this was a city that had undergone tremendous earthquakes. Like more than once they had to rebuild their church. More than once they had to rebuild their lives. This was a group of people that were shaken. So Jesus says, I know that you've been shaken, but I want you to know about your destiny. You're going to be a group of people, both individually and corporately, that are going to be pillars in the temple of God forever. Temp- pillars, if you think about a, a building with columns, they do two things. They support and they uphold and they demonstrate both the worth and the value of the structure, um, but they also declare something, especially in the ancient world, they were very beautiful, they were very opulent, 
So that means that God is making both individuals and churches into something very beautiful in His temple. That every single thing that you go through is to reveal the beauty of His salvation in your life both now and forever. There's no such thing as an insignificant follower of Jesus. Every person has a part to play in his story. Every person... Now, in our culture, we tend to elevate certain gifts above everything. But this context and this verse to these churches is to say that God values you and He's made you specifically to declare and to display His beauty both now and forever. That's who you are as the people of God. You are a pillar in the temple of God. Now, what's really encouraging about this church, this church that had little power, this church that was more aware of their deficiencies and their failures than they were of their successes. They went on about a 1,200-year run after this. There was an open door that no one could shut. They planted churches all over that region of the world. They planted some of the first churches um, in the nation of India, and it continued to grow and to flourish for 1,200 years. I don't know how many local churches are around after 1,200 years, but that's a pretty good run, right? I would love, not for the sake of our name, Fellowship Jonesboro, but to think, if, if God chooses not to return, that we could go on a 1,200-year run of faithfulness that's passed down from one generation to the next. And some of the open doors that God has placed before us, by His grace, for His glory, I pray does exactly that.